favorite type of ice cream? One, two, three. You know, I don't. You know, even looking at me, this would be hard to believe, but I don't like ice cream. It's okay. But I, give me meat. Give me a donut. I'm good with that. But I'm not. I, I eat ice cream because it's there occasionally, but I would never go out of my way to order ice cream. But I know it's a big deal for It's a major food group for some of you. Um, uh, I do like butter pecan, but it's just, it's just not a big deal if I, if I never get that. But there's some new flavors out. And I have to tell you that when I, when I go anywhere, I always look for the weirdest thing on the menu. Because I can get a hamburger anywhere. So I'm always going to look for the, the weird thing. Uh, one of the new flavors that is out is mustard ice cream. Now listen, here's my rule. Here's my rule. I will eat anything. As long as they see somebody else eat it first. I want, the, I want an eyewitness. I want to watch you. I was in Israel. And the guy says, hey, you can eat the fish eyes out of this fish. And I'm like, I'm following your lead, bro. I picked it up, ate it. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And I did. But I wanted to see it first. I don't like being the guinea pig on a prod. Speaking of guinea pigs... One of the other new flavors of ice cream. In the country of Ecuador, guinea pig ice cream. I am not making it up. And just to let you know, when I was in Peru a few weeks ago, the national dish of Peru is called koi. Has anybody, has anybody here, are there any Peruvians in the room? We have, we have Peruvians in the church. All right, not this service. Okay, well anyway... They, they eat koi. It is the national dish. Anybody know what koi translates to? In, it, it translates into guinea pig. Here's my lunch when I, was in, when I was in Peru. That indeed is a guinea pig. So if you go to Ecuador, they've taken it to a whole new level, and now you can get guinea pig on your ice cream. Listen, I can handle anything if I see you eat it. First, I want to know that somebody else has done this. That's what we're going to talk about today, now that I fully grossed you out. Uh, as we start this new series called Let's, we're in, we're in, a, we're in the, the Gospel of Luke, so I'm just going to roll you through this real quickly to set up the stage. There's four stories about Jesus in your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There were many, many more accounts that were written, but some of them had mistakes in them, they, they were not included when the assemblers were putting it together. They went with these four because they had no mistakes in them and because they spoke to specific groups of people. Matthew was written to Jewish people. Mark was written to Roman people. John, I think, was written to the every, everyday guy. And Luke is written to Greek intellectuals. Luke is a doctor. And so Luke speaks about things in a much more in-depth way than others do. When you get to the crucifixion, Luke's descriptions are much more descriptive because Luke's a doctor. He understands what's happening to the body. But what's interesting, again, just to let you know, 50% of American pastors, 50% believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John actually existed and actually wrote those books. Only 50% even believed that the people were real. It's nuts. There's a church in Portland right now that's suing their pastor for abuse. You want to know what he did? 
he believes in the Bible and he teaches them the Bible. And so they're suing him for abuse and trying to get him thrown out of the church because he stands for the Word of God. You have an advantage. Everybody that's ever going to stand on this stage believes in the Word of God. And we're going to give it to you as honestly as we can. Now, Luke wrote two books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, which we're going to look at, and he wrote the book of Acts. He wrote them to the same guy. The guy's name is Theophilus, and it's a name that means lover of God. And so this is a doctor writing to a young guy to tell him that you can trust the stories that you've heard. Now, just to, right out of the gate. All right, so Luke, Luke's been attacked forever. Luke didn't exist. Luke's not true. They got all kinds of mistakes. The first thing they went after was Luke is in Luke chapter 2, which will be in next week. In Luke chapter 2, there's a story about angels coming and about a baby's going to be born in Bethlehem. And remember, there's a governor named Quirinius who's from Syria, and he orders a census of all the people. And that's why they have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to be registered. Anybody remember that story? We cover it every December. We usually get into that. For years, the argument was, because we know from Jewish Roman records that Quinerius was actually the governor of Syria in 6 AD, which means it's way too late for the story of Jesus. And so immediately they jumped on it. They said, this is not true. Luke's a, Luke's a liar. Luke's not true. These are stories that were put together. Recently, in the last 20 years or so, they found a rock. I love this. They found another stone. And on that stone, lo and behold, Quinerius served two terms as governor of Syria. And the first one was during the time of Jesus' birth. So when that happened, obviously they all said, oh, now we believe the Bible. Now we're going to be followers of Jesus, right? No. no. They moved on to the next thing. They also attacked Luke. In Acts 17, Luke talks about politarchs. He says there are specific groups of leaders in the city of Thessalonica, which is in Greece, called politarchs. And the critics said there is no such title anywhere in history as politarchs. All right. Matthew, let's show them here. <clears throat> this is a stone that was recently found. And uh, again, I love, I love what God does. If you don't read ancient Greek, allow me to translate. Uh, what this says is that there were many politarchs serving. And it lists like four cities that they were serving in throughout the Greek empire. But specifically, the politarchs worked in Thessalonica. Just confirmation. Confirmation that Luke knew what he was talking about, that Luke was there, that Luke was an eyewitness. Because there are some things that you don't want to trust to people who weren't there. Would you agree with that? When you bring people into a court, you want to know... Yeah, excuse me, sir. Um, were you there when this event happened? No, sir, but I'd like to give you my opinion. I don't know if you watch Judge Judy, but Judge Judy has great words for people like that. So you weren't there, then why are you in my court? Because I want people who were eyewitnesses. Because if you weren't there to see it, how do I know it's true? So Luke is going to take us there. If you'll stand out of respect for God's Word. We're going to look at just four verses today as we start, as we start the story of Luke. 
But it's all about you and me having confidence in the authority of God, in the authority of the Scripture, in the, in the resurrection of Jesus. This is why Luke wrote this book. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled. We'll get to that word fulfilled later among us. Many have undertaken to tell this story of Jesus. Just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first. They were eyewitnesses and they were servants of the word of God. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, lover of God, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. You can be seated. So Luke said, I'm writing this book, and he says the same thing when he starts the book of Acts. He says, I'm writing this to you so you can have absolute confidence in the story. When we're talking about Noah's flood, when we're talking about creation, when we're talking about the virgin birth or the resurrection from the dead, you can have absolute confidence in that. Because Again, doctor writing to a friend, just saying, I want you to know you can check it out. But I love what he did. See, Luke wasn't there. Matthew was there. Matthew was a tax collector. John was there. He was one of the disciples. Mark was not there, but more than likely, Mark is Peter's story. Peter was illiterate and couldn't write, and so Peter told the story firsthand to Mark, and Mark wrote it down. Luke wasn't there. Luke ends up with Paul. We'll see Luke traveling with Paul when we get to the book of Acts. But Luke was not an eyewitness. And so what did he do? He said, I went for eyewitness accounts. He wanted sources. Luann and I were talking the other night. She was working on her Bible study. And she said something to me. She said, hey, in this, this book we're studying, she said, it says this. And I said, what? I said, give me a source. I want footnotes. Tell me where they came. It made for a great story. It just wasn't true. It's like many scholars agree. That's baloney. Many scholars agree about everything and they're dead wrong. That's irrelevant. I want sources. I want to be able to go back. Recently, recently there was a, again, you wouldn't believe this unless you saw it. There was a disturbance. This is, this is in Pennsylvania, Ohio. It was an Amish community. And the guy's going down the street in a, in a buggy and there was a noise ordinance. Here he is. They had huge stereo systems built into the Amish wagon. Now, some things you got to see to be able to believe it. Yeah. And if I can't see it, I want to know who was there. If I started to tell this, and I want to tell you how great it was to walk on the moon. You want to listen to me? No. But if I bring in an astronaut, was 11 guys have done that? If I brought in one of those astronauts and said, hey, would you tell us how, what it was like to walk on the moon? That's a whole different deal. You want the eyewitnesses. And so he went back and he said, I went and interviewed those people Myself, I wanted to know what they saw and what they heard and what they experienced. The ones who were there to see the miracles of Jesus. The ones who were there for the resurrection. He said, I went back to the beginning to understand, listen, everything that was fulfilled. What's significant about that? Again, they know the scripture. They know 
that there's 300 plus prophecies about Messiah. When, when the Messiah comes, he's got to fulfill all these prophecies. Now look, some of those we could make up. If the prophecy said, hey, the Messiah will be in Florida, I could move to Florida. But it's awful hard to change where you were born. Micah 5.2 said he will be born in Bethlehem. He will be called a Nazarene. He'll live in Nazareth. He will... And, you pick out the scriptures. It talks about in detail in Isaiah 52 and 53 about his crucifixion. In Psalm 22, it goes into detail about the whole last week of his life. All There's 300 prophecies that were fulfilled. And Luke said, I went back and interviewed all the eyewitnesses to find out about all of these scriptures that were fulfilled. The odds of one man filling six of those is astronomical. One guy doing 300 not enough zeros in the universe to make that happen. Listen, you have a right to go to hell or heaven. You get to choose. But I beg you, I beg you to at least check out the sources. At least ask for sources. I'm amazed at how many people will just go, oh, either way, oh yeah, I believe it, I trust Joe. Why would you trust me? Look at the Bible, look at the text, look at history, look at archaeology. Do your own work. But worse than that, why would you go to hell on somebody else's research? At least do your own eyewitness digging and find out about these people who were there to see this happen. In Acts chapter 1, he says the same thing. In Acts 1, 1 to 3, he talks about the power of the eyewitness. He said, I wanted to get this first-hand information for you. And, and in fact, I love the, the phrase when he says, he said it was brought over by those who were servants of the Word of God. You see that phrase? Servants of the Word of God. Because when Isaiah was writing, he didn't know all that he was explaining. When Micah was writing, when Zechariah was writing, when Moses was writing, they did not understand the big picture about Jesus. But they just did what they were told. They wrote down what they were told to write down. They got that information down. But the word that he uses, the people who were servants of the word of God. I want you to understand this because this is what we need to be. The word that is used there is oarsman. Oh, that's a little weird. If you think back, you've seen enough old movies. Roman boats, Greek boats. How do they get around? At the bottom of the boats... There are slaves, and what are the slaves doing? Pulling these giant oars. There are no diesel engines. There's no coal-fired power plants. They're pulling the oars. And there's a guy telling them what to do, to turn right, to turn left, more speed, whatever it might be. But there are oarsmen, and that's the word that Luke uses. He said there have been oarsmen who have kept the Word of God on track down to our generation. And he wants to make sure that Theophilus understands these men and women have paid the price to keep the Bible pure so you and I can hold it in our hands today and have confidence in it. Now look, we got the world chewing us up. Everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn, you expect it in the news media, you expect it in TV, you expect it in the movies. But when 50% of the church doesn't believe in the Bible, that's scary. That's really scary. And for some of you, maybe you're wavering. Listen, Luke wrote this to say, you know what? I dare you. Prove it wrong. Prove it wrong. 
Not one line in that book has been disproved yet. Once you get that, I can trust the book. I can trust the story. Jesus really did die for me and he rose from the dead. If that is true, then there's no reason for me not to sell out. There's no reason for me not to accept Jesus, for me not to be baptized, for me not to give, for me not to serve. But as long as you're only 50% sure, you're not going to do anything. You're sort of just hedging your bets. He said, not only did I go to eyewitnesses, but then Luke says, I personally investigated it. Who would you like to be the private, the private eye here? The private eye is a doctor who's going to go into detail. Well-educated man. God did not use the fisherman for this one. He used a doctor. He said, I personally checked all of this out to make sure that you could trust it. He goes into details. Now, I don't know if you like watching, you know, mystery shows, uh, CSI. I don't, I don't even know what they are. My dad's still watching Barnaby Jones and, uh, and uh, Agatha Christie. And uh, my mom will walk through. My dad can't hear anything. And she'll walk through and she'll say, you've seen that 150 times. And he'll go, I know, and I'm going to watch it 151. Sometimes she'll walk through and she'll tell him how it ends. But he can't hear, so it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't bother him in the slightest. He's going to go right on watching it. Unfortunately, it's not packaged sometimes in an hour script. Luke said, I did the investigation myself. See, Luke's no fool. He wants to be sure for who? For himself. It looks like I don't want to go to hell. And if I get a chance to go to heaven, I want to make sure this story's true. But once he finds it out through his own personal investigation of all things from the beginning, he said, now Theophilus, I mean, I got to assume Theophilus is struggling. That's why I wrote to him. His name is Lover of God. So mom and dad named him right, but he's struggling. He didn't get to be the eyewitness to some of this. And Luke is right. He said, I'm going to tell you this whole story of Jesus, man. I'm going to unfold the whole thing for you. you. And I encourage you to read the whole story of Luke as we're, as we're working our way through this because we're going to just pick out highlights uh, as, as we go through it. But he said, I have personally investigated it. I did the homework and I challenge you to do the same. Because let me tell you what happens, all right? And um, you, you get to the point where, at least at my age, you wake up either to an alarm clock or to a calling, all right? One or the other. Now, we're not done with this message yet, but I want you to think about that. You'll wake up either to an alarm clock saying, oh, okay, here we go again. Or you wake up saying, God's got a plan for me today. And until you have confidence in the book and confidence in the story of Jesus, and listen, the Bible has withstood attacks for thousands of years. I, I taught on, on Noah this week in, in one of my Bible studies. And I said, you know what? Everybody thought Noah was a fool until it started raining. And Jesus said, just like it was in the times of Noah, so it will be at the second coming. There'll be people eating and drinking and marrying and denying Jesus and denying the Bible right up until the moment that the church has taken over. They'll still be denying that it's there. So don't be surprised that critics are out there. But do your own homework. 
Go back and get the original sources. Go back and find out so that you can have confidence. I love 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, where it says, it says, if you have Jesus, you have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. You get to choose. It didn't say, do you go to church? Do you think religious thoughts? Are you spiritual? No, do you have Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus? And you're not going to accept Jesus till you have confidence in the book. Or you'll accept Jesus because I'm telling you to, and that's a big mistake. Do the homework for yourself. But then the last part, he says to Theophilus, now it's time for you to make a personal response. That's, that's where we're at. All right? Eyewitness account, personal investigation. What's your response, Theophilus? The whole point of this book is to get him doing something so he can be confident in his faith so that he will give, so he will serve, so he will go, so he will help multiply followers of Jesus, multiply church plants, so more people will be saved. Look, we know nothing else in history about this guy. We have no idea what happened to Theophilus. We don't know. We do know that the church flourished throughout Greece in the first four centuries. So somebody was doing some great stuff in that nation and throughout that kingdom. But what about you, Theophilus? What are you going to do with this information? It's time for a response. For some of you, i got to accept Jesus. I've got to do that. For some of you, it's time. You know what? I really do believe. I do trust. Maybe you got to turn off the media. I don't know. I there's so many stories we could go into. The bat, for instance. We got a picture of a bat. Watch this. There he is. Do you know? No ice cream. No ice cream stories here. Um, do you know our, our fighter jets are being built on the technology today that's inside a bat? Supposedly happened by chance. And we don't know how a bat fully has the radar and sonar technology. You're telling me that happened by chance? or design because we're trying to figure out how to get the technology that's inside a little bat's brain and put it into a fighter jet we're still working on figuring out all the details of that luke said look i did the homework you're welcome to do the homework and i encourage you to do the homework but at the end of the day you've got to decide okay Am I in or am I out? Am I going to accept Jesus? If I am going to accept Jesus, then I've got to be in. I've got to be faithful in serving. And I've got to do what he's called me to do. Maybe you're not called to backpack Europe. You can do something. Can you fix picnic tables? Can you help kids? Can you sponsor a child? There's always something to do. And most churches don't push for this. Most churches are just happy if somebody shows up. Well, when half the churches, when the pastors don't believe the Word of God, no wonder they're amazed when somebody shows up. But if we believe the book is true, then we will not wake up just to an alarm clock. We will wake up to a calling. Father, I pray that we would understand what you've asked us to be. For some, that means accepting you. For some, that means being baptized. For some, that means stepping up and getting involved. For some, it means getting into a small group. For some, it means I've got to stop some of the behaviors that I'm doing and get myself on track. Because I know I am saved. This story is real. Then there are scholars in the room. They need to be challenged to go back and check the sources.
God, only you. Only you can defend yourself. You don't need my help. So I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak very clearly to all of us that are here in the room. Whatever it is you needed us to hear today, thank you that you left us eyewitnesses, you left us history, you left us archaeology. So it is a step of faith, but it's a faith based on tremendous facts. We thank you in Jesus' name.